0: 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. This was the passage I preached on at Sinclair's funeral service on uh, Friday to someone and about someone who had reached the end of the race. This morning we ordain and admit new elders as they start out that time of serving God's church. So let's read these words. About eldership. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen, and may God speak to us all from his living word. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And verses 1 to 5. And you'll find on the inside back cover of the service sheet an outline for this passage. The Apostle Peter is writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor. And as he comes towards the end of his letter, he addresses the subject of eldership, of leadership in the church. What Peter the Apostle writes is authoritative. It is apostolic authority. Earlier in the service, we recited together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. The word Catholic in the creed, simply means universal. And the word apostolic in the creed means that we Enchhammers hold to the apostolic teaching as it is set down in the New Testament Scriptures, which in and of itself affirms the Old Testament Scriptures. Practically, that means that as a church, we do and must do what the Bible says, because there is no other authority for the church, because the Bible says what God says. Behind the apostles' authority is the inspiration of Almighty God. These are God's words to us, God's instructions, they have His authority. And in these verses, Peter addresses the elders, the congregation, and then everyone. First then, to the elders, verses 1 to 4. Let me read these verses with us again. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, just don't hear me saying that. It's not me exhorting you. It's the Apostle Peter, God himself exhorting us through his word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. My worst ever introduction when I was speaking at a conference was answering the question, what would you like to have known now when you started the ministry? And how would it have changed your ministry? This is the wrong answer to give to a conference of future ministers, if I had known what was ahead, I would have never done it. (laughs) And that's true. I think in some ways that is true, because the task facing the elder is a high task, and the responsibility is real. And what you six have signed up for this morning, and have signed, so you can't go back on it, you have signed up to suffer, to shepherd, and to serve, all with respect to the people of God. The six of you, along with the rest of the elders, have promised to suffer for, to shepherd, to serve the people of God and charmers, those under your spiritual care. That is what God charges you to do. That is what God charges leaders in every church to do to suffer, to shepherd, and to serve. First, suffering. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. When Peter says he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he means two things. First, that he has witnessed, seen for himself, Christ's suffering. He has seen Jesus die on a cross to save us. Second, Peter has himself experienced suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is normal Christian experience. And that is the experience of the Christians and the churches Peter is writing to in this letter. That is why he is writing to them, because they are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so, he writes to strengthen them. Just glance up the page to chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised, or uh, the Greek might better be translated, don't fret yourself. Don't panic. Don't think that something's gone wrong. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. And he's talking not about the suffering we all experience in life. He's talking about the suffering that comes because you're a Christian or because you're a Christian leader or elder. Suffering for the gospel's sake, because of the gospel, because of conviction. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening. But rejoice, what a strange thing to say, rejoice insofar as this much that you share his sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, suffering for the sake of the gospel is normal experience for every Christian. How? Well, when we share the gospel and it is rejected, when we stand for truth and it is questioned. But the Christian leader, the Christian elder, is often called to stand in the breach for the sake of others. They will often be the ones who bear the brunt of the suffering. Now today we ordain and admit new elders and look to the future. And I want to say to our present elders, as I said at Sinclair's funeral on Friday, speaking on the same passage, and I suspect that we may never say this again, that what you have done, good or bad in leadership, and there has been good or bad in our leadership, that what you have done in the decision you took two years ago to begin Chalmers Church, with all that that entailed for years, was standing in the breach and experiencing real suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of the people sitting behind you. And I want to say that, and we'll never say it again. Now we move on. Suffering, number two, shepherding. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God. That is among you. Every city preacher here runs out of steam because no one understands about sheep. I was trying to inquire of a sheep farmer at Sinclair's funeral about sheep, but he looked at me and conveyed to me, in spite of my middle age, you daft laddie, you know nothing about sheep. But shepherding is all over the New Testament because Jesus knew a lot about sheep. Of course, shepherds were all around him. And the description of the church leader or elder as a shepherd runs right through the Bible like a tram track. A good shepherd, a good elder does three things. First, what do they do? They feed their sheep. And that spiritual food is the Word of God. It is the soul-refreshing, soul-nourishing, life-changing Word of God. Every New Testament passage on the qualifications for eldership include therein the ability to teach. To teach God's Word, to give instruction in sound biblical doctrine. If you cannot, as elders, give sound biblical doctrine to people in the church, then you should not be elders. The Lord Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did He do? he began to teach them many things. Quoting from Ezekiel 34, the Lord Jesus had compassion for the crowd because they had no shepherd. And so he taught them because that is what shepherds should do. And that is what those who purported to be shepherds in Jesus' day were not doing. Or well, the end of John's gospel, the Lord Jesus says to Peter, after asking him if he loved him, you know the passage, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? What is his charge, his commission to the elders? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Give them spiritual nourishment from my word. You six will have many responsibilities and duties as elders. But as shepherds, your calling is to feed God's people, to teach the Bible, to give sound spiritual instruction, wherever you go and whoever you speak to. A good shepherd, a good elder, not only feeds their sheep, second, they care for them. Now, care is not a loose word in the New Testament. Here's how the word is used in Hebrews 13, 17, for example. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, or care over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Caring for God's people means keeping watch over their souls. It is a moving picture. It is a physician for souls, a doctor for souls. You are keeping watch over people's souls. You are to look out for them. You are to be concerned for their salvation. You are to be concerned... If they are not saved, you are to be concerned for their growth. You are to be concerned for their perseverance. And when a soul is suffering, when a soul is in anguish, turmoil, or died of fear, you are to care for them. You are to see them strengthened in the Lord. Your business as elders, as shepherds, is to be physicians of souls. The elder says, I will keep watch, I will stand guard, I will stay awake. A good shepherd, a good elder feeds, cares, and third, protects the sheep. Protect them from those who will harm them. Who will harm them? Where is the danger from? Well, the New Testament is crystal clear. The danger comes in two ways, both of which are connected Worst, first, rather, from people who do not teach the truth, what the Bible calls false teaching. That is the gravest and greatest danger for the sheep, false teaching, false teachers. And what do false teachers look like? The Bible calls them wolves. What do wolves look like in the real life of the church? Sheep, even lambs. And the wise shepherd is discerning and vigilant, looking out for the wolves and protecting the sheep from false teaching. Now, you might, that might sound, it sounds a little, to me, a little extreme. The danger of false teaching, false shepherds, surely they can't do any harm. Well, let me put it like this. Did it matter what Sinclair Graham believed? Did it matter what he believed about the cross and how he could be saved? Did it matter in the end what he believed about eternity? Of course it did. Would it have mattered if he had believed something that wasn't true? It would have mattered for all eternity. So the elder must protect people from false teaching or half-truth or spin. It is dangerous, it is deceptive, it does matter in life and for eternity what you believe. And the other enemy, the arch enemy behind everything that can harm the sheep is your enemy, the devil. Just glance forward to chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, resist him standing firm in your faith. The devil prowls around the sheep. The shepherd, the elder, is wise to that. Good leaders, do not think perhaps that the devil is around every corner or in every cupboard. But it's far worse, surely, to think that he's not around any corners or any cupboards. You will not see a lion around you until after it is pounced. And the good shepherd is vigilant, watchful protecting the sheep. Now we are blessed as a church with unity and stability, and we really are in, in, with all our faults and weaknesses. And that's a kind of straight line truth comment, but we must guard it. What's the devil going to want to do to our church? He's going to prowl around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour and take them down. How do you, as elders, protect people from false teaching of the devil? Well, you can't do it, which is why Peter says, chapter 5, verse 9, Resist him firm in your faith. Verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand in it. What is it that as elders you are to do to protect the sheep? What are you to give people you are responsible for that they might be firm in their faith, that they might stand fast? What are you to give them? The simple biblical gospel, the true grace of God. You're to feed them the gospel. That's how they will stand fast and stand firm. Every conversation you have, every visit you make, every Bible study you lead, speak of the true grace of God in the gospel and exhort people to stand fast in it. All other ground is sinking sand. Suffering, shepherding, and the third mark of the elder, serving. Read with me from the second half of verse 2. The elders should exercise oversight. They should lead, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Exercise leadership in the church, not because you have to, but because you're glad to. Don't do it for the wrong motives, for what you might get out of it, or for what people might think of you. Rather serve humbly, quietly, and keenly. Do not be domineering over those in your charge. Rather be an example to them. Do not lord it over them, but set them and serve them as an example. As elders, your leadership is authenticated by your motives, by the example you set, by the heartbeat of your hearts as servants. So will you serve these people willingly, eagerly, by setting an example? That is what a man like Sinclair Graham did It is how he was as an elder. And it is not sentimental to say that. It is true. Servant-hearted leadership is a mighty powerful thing. It is enabling. It is transforming. And the best example of all is the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he said, who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the Lord Jesus is not only the good shepherd, he is the chief shepherd. You and I might be shepherds and chammers, but we are not the chief shepherd. That is Jesus Christ. Chammers is Jesus' church. He leads the church. The living word leads the church through the written word. The church is ruled by Jesus through his word. You and I are under shepherds. We take our lead from him. We lead as we love him. And we lead as we serve him. A good elder always has a good relationship with the Lord Jesus. I remember someone saying to, that to me when I became an elder. A good elder always has a good relationship with the Lord Jesus. They serve under him and they love him. Why will you suffer for these people? Why will you shepherd them? Why will you serve them? Because you love them. Why do you love them? Because you love Jesus. These two things can never be separated. Love for the Lord Jesus and love for God's people. Which is why the Lord Jesus said to Peter, before he said, feed them and care for them. He asked Peter, do you love me? Love Jesus and love them. And then the goal, the prize, where does it lead to in the end? Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter is talking about the new creation, the glorious eternity for every true Christian. He spoke of it at the beginning of the letter, chapter 1, reminding the churches, the Christians he was writing to of that glorious inheritance that is theirs. Remember that, hold on to that, look to that future glory when you are living for Christ and suffering for the sake of Christ in this world. And here in chapter 5, he says it to the elders, the leaders of the church, conscious that for them, the experience of suffering for the sake of Christ is often keenest. He does not say it to them, to you, because they will get a special reward. He is saying it simply so that they keep going to the end. And there is, of course, that added edge for those in leadership that I and you will stand one day before the Lord Jesus and he will say to you and me, did you suffer for them? Did you shepherd them? And did you serve them? That is what Peter has to say to the elders. Suffering, shepherding, serving, then glory. What does he say to us all, to the congregation? Verse 5a, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, the principle here is of a church submitting to the leadership, the spiritual oversight of the elders. The biblical exhortation to submit is expressed in a number of contexts within a church family and within our own families. Within our own families, wives submitting to husbands, children submitting to parents, within a church family, members submitting to elders. It is awfully countercultural, yet so clear in the Bible. Because to submit to the oversight of elders is to submit to the authority of God's Word and thereby to God. What are you being asked to submit to? Well, elders who will suffer for you, who will shepherd you, who will serve you. You are being asked to submit to leadership that takes its lead from the example of Jesus and only that. But what does Peter mean when he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders? He doesn't mean, surely, that only young people should be subject to the elders. He can't mean that. He doesn't mean that young people find it harder than others to be subject to elders. I don't think he's trying to say that. What is implied in his comment is that elders are to be people of spiritual maturity, and that is most commonly associated with maturity in years. I think that's what the Bible does say. It is undoubtedly true that men like Sinclair and Ed and others have wisdom born of experience in the Christian life. And as an elder, I have benefited hugely from the wisdom of their spiritual maturity that goes with years. So, in appointing elders, one must be mindful of maturity and experience in the Christian life. Many of us sitting at the front here have gray hair or less hair than we once had. But some at the front don't. And the New Testament is very clear that there is no bar to appointing younger people to leadership except that one must do it advisedly and very carefully. When I spoke of Andy earlier, what I said was true as a young man. He was and remains a source of spiritual strength, maturity, and wisdom, not least to me. And now he is not nearly so young as he was. Peter's final word to us all. To us all, elders and congregate, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility, toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Churches so often have leaders who are proud and therefore ineffective in their leadership. They will build great big massive churches maybe but there's something wrong at their heart. Churches often have leaders who will not suffer for the sake of God's people, who will not shepherd God's people, who will not serve them. Yet to the humble leader, God gives grace to suffer, to shepherd, and to serve. And churches can have members, too, who are proud and will just not submit to oversight, even when it is rightly exercised. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, of course, when a church, its leaders, and its members live with humility towards one another, then that church is strong. And united in my mind is a, a kind of picture of us all coming in on a Sunday every one of us and we get down on our knees and we say Jesus I love you and if you're an elder you say I will serve them I will suffer for them I will shepherd them I will protect them and then we say it to one another we express anew our commitment to this church family that it will keep tied to the simple gospel the word of god to prayer that we will keep on being outward looking not inward looking reaching building training and sending and the way to achieve that is to clothe yourselves all of you with humility Father, these are serious things and yet wonderful things. In our mind's eye, there is the Lord Jesus who leads and rules and loves this church. And it is him that we are all glad to serve as under-shepherds of Christ. Grant to our elders a zeal and love for the Lord Jesus, and then a love for God's people. May they serve faithfully. May they be willing to suffer, to shepherd, and to serve. Grant to them all perseverance to keep on the road. And keep us, Lord, as a church family, steady and united, and clear in our vision. Thank you for your care of us. Continue to care for us, we ask. In Jesus' name and for his sake.